Lesson number 189, Surah Al-Furqan, ayah number 63 to 77. وَعِبَادُ الرَّحْمَانِ الَّذِينَ يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ هَوْنًا وَإِذَا خَاطَبَهُمُ الْجَاهِلُونَ قَالُوا سَلَامًا وَالَّذِينَ يَبِيتُونَ لِرَبِّهِمْ سُجَّدًا وَقِيَامًا وَالَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا اصْرِفْ عَنَّا عَذَابَ جَهَنَّمَ إِنَّ عَذَابَهَا كَانَ غَرَامًا إِنَّهَا سَاءَتْ مُسْتَقَرًّا وَمُقَامًا وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا أَنفَقُوا لَمْ يُسْرِفُوا وَلَمْ يَقْتُوا وَكَانَ بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ قَوَامًا وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَدْعُونَ مَعَ اللَّهِ إِلَٰهًا آخَرَ وَلَا يَقْتُلُونَ النَّفْسَ الَّتِي حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ وَلَا يَزْنُونَ وَمَن يَفْعَلْ ذَلِكَ يَلْقَ أَثَامًا يُضَاعَفْ لَهُ الْعَذَابُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَيَخْلُدْ فِيهِ مُهَانًا إِلَّا مَن تَابَ وَآمَنَ وَعَمِلَ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا فَأُولَئِكَ فَأُولَئِكَ يُبَدِّلُ اللَّهُ سَيِّئَاتِهِمْ حَسَنَاتٍ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَفُورًا رَّحِيمًا وَمَن تَابَ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا فَإِنَّهُ يَتُوبُ إِلَى اللَّهِ مَتَابًا وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَشْهَدُونَ الزُّورَ وَإِذَا مَرُّوا بِاللَّغْوِ مَرُّوا كِرَامًا وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِّرُوا بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِمْ لَمْ يَخِرُّوا عَلَيْهَا صُمًّا وَعُمْيَانًا وَالَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا هَبْ لَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَّاتِنَا قُرَّةَ أَعْيُنٍ وَجَعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا أولئك يجزون الغرفة بما صبروا ويلقون فيها تحية وسلاما خالدين فيها حسنت مستقرا ومقاما قل ما يعبأ بكم ربي لولا دعاؤكم فقد كذبتم فسوف يكون لزاما أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم In these last verses of Surah Al-Furqan Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a picture of ubudiyah of servitude What does it really mean to be Allah's servant? That when a person recognizes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he recognizes Allah as ar-Rahman, then what happens to that person? 
What happens to his walk, to his talk, to his actions, to his behavior? What kind of a person does he become when he has furqan, when he has the criterion? So let's look at these verses and analyze ourselves. وَعِبَادُ الرَّحْمَانِ And the servants of the Most Merciful. Who are they? They are الَّذِينَ Those who يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ هَوْنَا Who walk upon the earth with humility. وَإِذَا خَاطَبَهُمُ الْجَاهِلُونَ And when the ignorant people address them, قَالُوا سَلَامًا They say peace. They say words of peace. Who are these people that Allah is describing? عِبَادُ Rahman. Ibad, you see, there's a word abid, all right? Abid. In the Quran, we learn that wama rabbuka bi lil abid. Your Lord is not at all unjust to the slaves. Abid is the plural of abd, all right? And ibad, what we see over here, ibad is the plural of abid. What's the difference between abd and abid? Abd is slave. And Abid is worshipper. Do you think there is a difference between slave and worshipper? Is there a difference? What's the difference? A slave is doing something because he's being forced to. He's not given a choice. Correct? But a worshipper is choosing to worship. He is choosing to show servitude. So Ibadur Rahman. The servants, the worshippers of Ar-Rahman. Now if you think about it, the entire creation, all of mankind, what is their status? Their status is that they are Allah's abid. Isn't it? We are all Allah's servants. Whether a person believes or he does not believe, whether a person obeys Allah or he disobeys Allah, still, who is he? Allah's slave. Correct? A person may reject, you know, for example, a prophet of Allah, but can he escape Allah's decree? Can he? No, he cannot. Can he avoid death when Allah has decreed that he should die? No, he cannot. Why? Because ultimately, even if a person is the greatest sinner, the greatest denier, who is he after all? Allah's slave. Now, when a person chooses to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah calls him his abd, then why does he call him his abd? In order to honor that servant. Right? Because he has the choice to disobey, but he is choosing to remain obedient. And this is why in the Qur'an, whenever the Prophet ﷺ is mentioned as abd, what do we see? That is an honor for him. So for example, at the beginning of Surah Al-Isra, سُبْحَانَ الَّذِي أَسْرَى بِعَبْدِهِ لَيْلًا مِنَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ إِلَى الْمَسْجِدِ الْأَقْصَى Because servitude to Allah means choosing the best master for oneself. And is that honorable? That is very honorable. Servitude to the creation What is that? It is subjugation, it is qahr, it is being under their control. And that is very disgraceful for a human being. Whereas servitude to Allah is honorable, why? Because when a person believes in Allah and obeys Him and worships Him, then Allah honors him by giving him liberty. What do I mean by that? Allah honors him by giving him choice. 
Allah honors him by giving him the ability to choose to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What do I mean by that? In the Qur'an, what do we learn? فَذْكُرُونِي أَذْكُرْكُمْ You remember me? I will remember you. In hadith also we learn that as long as a servant remembers Allah, Allah also remembers him. So what does it mean? That when you want Allah to remember you, then you should remember Allah. When you want Allah to be close to you, then you have to take the first step. So the choice is with who? With who? With the servant. Isn't that amazing? When a servant chooses Allah, then Allah gives him the choice. Allah gives him the choice. And we see this in the character of the Prophet ﷺ also. That whenever he would shake somebody's hand when greeting that person, the Prophet ﷺ would never pull his hand away until the other person would let go of his hand. You choose to hold my hand for as long as you want. A person, as long as he makes dua, Allah listens to him. Isn't that so? As long as you remember Allah, Allah will remember you too. You want Allah to protect you, to watch you, you choose, you start to be mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is an honorable position. And over here, when Allah says, Ibadul Rahman, servants, worshippers of Ar-Rahman, why does Allah say Ar-Rahman? Because when a person will worship Allah, that person will find Allah Ar-Rahman. He will find Allah merciful. He will not find Allah controlling and oppressive. You understand? But when we show servitude to people, do we find them merciful? Never. You know, this is something very basic. Forget total submission and surrender. Even if you're doing something for another person in obedience to them, do they try to control you? Forget other people, think about yourself. Just the other day, I requested somebody to take a picture. Alright, not of me, but of somebody else. I happened to be on the other side, I gave them my phone, can you take a picture? They were taking a picture, and I then went to them, and I told them, okay, from here. I'm like, why am I doing that? Is it rocket science to take a picture? Really? Is it? It's not. And so what if the picture is not perfect? What's the big deal? But look at how insecure we are as human beings that the moment we have a little bit of authority, what do we do? We exert our control. We try to oppress others. But servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what is that? When a person surrenders to Allah, when a person worships Allah, he will find Him Ar-Rahman. Most merciful, most compassionate. I mean, think about it. We have to pray five times a day. Isn't it? And we have been given specific times within which we have to pray. But we have been given the liberty to choose, the freedom to choose when we pray within those specific times. Correct? Like for example, if Dhuhr time is from 1 to 5, for instance, you have the choice to pray at 101, you have the choice to pray at 2, you have the choice to pray at 3, you have the choice, don't you? Likewise, you can start the second you want, and also you can end when you want, in the sense that you can make your prayer as long or as short as you want. Are we forced to pray Surah Al-Baqarah in every rakah? Not at all. Are we forced to make our ruku' and our sujood very long? Not at all. 
So remember, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is not dhillah. It's not debasing oneself. It's not humiliating oneself. It's not disgraceful to worship Allah. Worshipping Allah is very, very honorable. Because worshipping Allah means choosing the best master for yourself. And who is that master? Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. So Ibad rahman The worshippers... Those who choose Allah, the worshippers of the most merciful, who are they? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the qualities of His true worshippers. How they are in themselves, how they are with one another, how they are with their Lord. What's the first characteristic that we see over here? That how they are in themselves, meaning how they walk. Now if you think about it, we are in one of two States At any point in time, either we are mobile or we are immobile. Right? Either we are moving or we are not moving. Correct? Can you be in any third state? Can you be in any third state? No, you can't be. You're either moving or you're not moving. Correct? Okay. Now, when you're not moving, when you're immobile, can you hurt other people? Chances are very low. Right? Because even if you want to hurt somebody, you have to either move your mouth, right? Or you have to move your hand or do something in order to annoy someone. Okay. So when is it that it's very possible for you to hurt someone? When you are moving, when you are mobile. Correct? Okay. Now when you're moving, that is what we have to pay attention to. Correct? So over here, what is mentioned? الَّذِينَ yamshun. Those who, when they walk, from the root letters, mim, shin, ya, mashi, those who, when they're walking, how do they walk? They walk haunan. They walk easily. Yamshuna ala al-ardi haunan. So the basic state of mobility is walking. So how should we walk then? How do the ibadul rahman walk? They walk in the state of haun. Ha, waw, noon. What does haun mean? Haun is rifq, gentleness. So they walk gently. But gently in the sense that with calmness and with serenity. With calmness and serenity. Softly and mildly. Softly and mildly. Without pretense, without any pride. Alright? Not lazily, as if they are sick. Not sluggishly. How would you describe this kind of walk? What kind of walk is this? Moderate. Right? So their walk is very moderate. They are between, you know, being swaggering. Okay? They're not swaggering. And they're not even sluggish. You understand? They're not swaggering and they're not sluggish. And if you think about it, dignity is with what? It is with moderation. When a person is swaggering, do they look dignified? No. Even if they're wearing the most expensive stuff and they're walking into a theater to wrestle with someone, whatever it is, if they're swaggering, you don't even want to look at them. I don't know how people look at others who are doing gangster walk. It disgusts me. Like honestly, I think it's disgusting. Horrible. How can you walk like that? Likewise, if a person is walking as if they're half dead, I mean, that's not dignified either. Right? But what happens when we wake up for Fajr? 
as if we've been awake all night and our back is broken, we just bruised our you know, leg or something. We don't have the strength to stand up straight. يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ هَوْنًا So هَوْنًا is how? In moderation. And you see this moderation in walking, yamshun, although the word yamshun is mentioned over here, but this can be applied in other aspects also, in other areas of life also. Because when a person walks gently, then they will also drive in the same way, they will also ride in the same way, right? Now remember that haunan does not mean they're very slow. You can drive fast, there's no harm in that. Okay? That because the Prophet ﷺ, he would walk fast in the sense that people would have to try to keep up with him. He was not slow. And when he would ride his camel, his camel would be the fastest camel. Which is why we learned that on one occasion, when a particular Bedouin came and joined the Muslims, and his camel got ahead of the camel of the Prophet ﷺ, the Sahaba were very sad. Right? So the camel of the Prophet ﷺ was fast, and he would also walk you know, in a good speed, not slow and not so fast that he is hurting other people as he's walking. Alright? So what it means is that with dignity, with composure, alright, being courteous even in our walk, this is haunan. Not that a person is crude in the way that they're walking or they're rash in the way that they're driving or they're very carefree in the way that they are walking through others. No. يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ haunan. If you think about it, out of all the qualities that Ibadul Rahman have, what is the first one that Allah mentions? Walk. Why? What is it that affects your walk? Think about it. What affects your walk? When is it that you walk really slowly? As if you're half dead. When? When you don't want to do something. Isn't it? Okay, when is it that you walk really fast? When you're in a rush. Have you ever seen children, like how when they're with their friends, they start running, they forget how to walk? Isn't it? You have to keep reminding them, you are in a house, we're not in a park. Why is it that they forget to walk? Because of the excitement. Okay, now, is your walk affected by your mood? If you're happy, you're like, you know, walking straight. And if you're sad, or you're shy, or you're scared, does that affect your walk? It does. Doesn't it? Your mood affects your walk. The way you think, your your psychological state, basically, that will also affect your walk. Now what do we see over here? Their ibadul rahman they have composure in the way they walk. Why? Because when a person recognizes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when a person has iman, when a person has furqan, then they get this composure within themselves. They learn how to control themselves. They're not hyper. You understand? Nor are they lazy, so that they're slow. They're active. They're alert. And yet they are composed. So, الَّذِينَ يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ هَوْنًا Second quality that is mentioned over here. وَإِذَا خَاطَبَهُمُ الْجَاهِلُونَ قَالُوا سَلَامًا And when the ignorant address them, they say peace. خَاطَبَ From the word خِطَاب خَطَابَ What does خِطَاب mean? Have you heard of the word خَطِيب? Who is خَطِيب? The person standing on the member on Jumu'ah. Correct? What is خُطْبَ? From the same root. 
speech and address. So in khitab, one person is addressing the other. Alright? So, وَإِذَا خَاطَبَهُمُ الْجَاهِلُونَ Remember this word khitab, مُخَاطَبَ It shows that it's two-sided. Alright? It shows that it's two-sided. So this means that when they are in a conversation, and somebody is talking to them, somebody is responding to them, alright? How is it that they respond? قَالُوا salama. But who is it that's talking to them? Jahilun. Jahilun is a plural of? Jahil. Who is jahil? A person who is ignorant. What does it mean by this? Jahil, alright, is the ignorant and foolish person who does not know how to talk properly, appropriately. They don't know what is befitting in a given situation. You understand? Like for example, children, alright? Do you hear them screaming in a grocery store? All the time. All the time. Do you hear them throwing a tantrum? Do you? All the time. Why? Because children don't know that this is not how you talk. Right? They don't have that ability yet. Hopefully, inshallah, with time they will learn. Inshallah. Hopefully. Right? That the older they get, the more they realize that this is not appropriate. Now sometimes what happens is that even as adults, some people lack this ability. They don't know which words to put where. Wherever they are, whatever they feel like saying, they say it. They don't think about who the other person is. They don't think about the fact that perhaps children are listening and they will pick up on some bad words that they're going to utter. Right? They don't keep in mind the status of the person whom they are talking to. This is what? Ignorance. Isn't it? Because if they were truly knowledgeable and aware, they would know how to speak, what kind of words to say, in what manner to speak, and how to address the other person. Jahil is not somebody who doesn't have a degree. No, they could have a degree. They could have a very fancy job. They could be working as a news broadcaster somewhere, as a host in a talk show even. It's quite possible. But in the way they address the other person, rudely, or they ask a very inappropriate question, what does that show? Their ignorance. Hmm? Their ignorance. Recently I was watching this, um, it was a panel, all right, and there was this Muslim human rights lawyer all right, from the States who was being asked several questions about his experience you know, these days trying to defend the Muslims and trying to explain how the majority of the Muslims are and what not. And he said that in a talk show, right in the middle of the conversation, he was asked, do you support such and such group? And he was explaining that I'm only 38 years old and I have white hair. And there's a reason behind that. Why? Because I get asked these kind of questions. I'm a human rights lawyer. And you're asking me if I support such and such group who is known for doing everything that goes against human rights. Seriously? Is that a question to ask? And I was like, how did this man not blow up? Like seriously, how did he not blow up? This is what? This is a sign of a person having maturity. Being able to control yourself. Because you're dealing with an ignorant person, a person who's behaving ignorantly. You cannot control them, can you? But what can you control? Yourself. Now this is something that will probably never happen to us. 
Alright? But what happens to us in our lives is that when people who are maybe younger than us, who are less knowledgeable than us, who have less money than us, who have less status than us, maybe in a family, whatever it may be, when they ask us questions that are very annoying or that are very disrespectful or when they say things which are very inappropriate, then what happens to us? How is it that we respond? Ibadur Rahman, how do they respond when the ignorant address them? Allah says, Qalu Salama. They say, Salam. What does it mean by Salam? This Salam is understood as the Salam of Mutaraka. What does Mutaraka mean? Farewell. Salam. Bye. You understand? In other words, they don't stay there. Meaning if it's a good, healthy discussion, leading them somewhere, a productive discussion, okay, they will carry on with that discussion, with that conversation. But the moment that discussion turns into something that will make them angry, that will make them furious, that will make them behave ignorantly, what do they do? They avoid that situation, they move away from it, they go away from it. Why? Because if you stay in a situation like that long enough, what will happen? You'll become like the other person. Isn't it? You will also behave ignorantly. You will also respond to them in the like manner. So this is salam of mutaraka. In the Quran we learn in Surah Al-Qasas, Ayah 55, When they hear vain talk, they turn away from it. They say for us are our deeds and for you are your deeds. Salamun alaykum. Peace be on you. Meaning, that's it. I'm not staying here anymore. I'm not interested in carrying this conversation any further. Goodbye. Qalu salama. They just stop right there. Why? For their own good, to protect themselves. Now, before we move on to that, I have a question for you. Why is it important to keep away from such conversations? Why? Yes? Okay, they're not productive at all. And? Like for example, if you are arguing with a five-year-old, alright, dead tired that child is, I'm not sleepy. No, but you are sleepy, sweetie. But you know, you're hardly able to open your eyes. No, but I'm not sleepy. I don't want to go to bed. No, but you have to go to bed. Because it's bedtime. No, but it's not nighttime yet. Are you going to get anywhere? What do you have to do? Pick him up. I love you. And take him to bed. Isn't it? You have to end the conversation, stop it right there, because it's not going to get you anywhere. It's only going to make you furious. Correct? It's going to make you rude. It's going to make you say things which you're going to regret. So you have to stop right there. Now, have you ever been in such a conversation with an adult even? Quite possible. What happens? You could carry this conversation, this debate rather, you could carry on this debate for an hour. Are they going to be convinced? Nope. Are you going to change your mind? Nope. But by the end of it, are you mentally exhausted? Yes. Is it emotionally draining? Yes. So Ibadur Rahman, they conserve their energy, alright, for things that are more productive and more useful. Alright? They don't exhaust their mental and emotional reserves in responding to the ignorant. Qalu salama. I was trying to think that sometimes, you know, when you bring 
it comes to you and you say, okay, goodbye, I don't want to talk further, that could be perceived as rude as well. Yeah. So what would be the best way to like kind of put an end to a conversation? Okay. What you can do is, when the other person is saying, like for example, you ask somebody a question and they say something very rude to you in return. You can either respond to it or you can say, okay, and go. Khalas. You don't have to show them, no, I disagree with you by the way. And this is not the way you talk to me. And what's your problem that every time I talk to you, you have to talk to me like that? No, you could either start an argument there or you could say, okay. This is qalu salama. That don't take the conversation any further. I don't know if I mentioned this to you before. Once I was listening to a recording of my mother's, uh, a lecture recording, where she was teaching at a place where people spoke a different language. But they understood her language. They understood Urdu, but they also spoke a different language. All right? Pashto. All right? So one lady, she took the microphone and she started talking. All right? And she went on for quite some time. And she was talking in Pashto. And my mom doesn't speak Pashto. She doesn't understand that language. So when that lady was done, my mom said, okay. And she continued teaching. As if nothing had happened. And I'm like, my jaw dropped. I'm like, how could you do that? This is qalu salama. Over there, if she said, it's better if we keep our comments to just you know, a minute, and it's better if we speak in a language that everybody understands, and it's better that such and such and such. Nothing. Qalu salama. You just stop it right there and move on to what you have to do. This is qalu salama. Alright? But what happens to us is we think, you know what, let me just respond to them. Just one thing I'm gonna say. That's it. One thing. And it's gonna be sufficient inshallah. But what happens? You say one thing, they say something else, and that makes you even more angry. So you want to say ten things now. Right? You get harsh, they get harsher, and you get even more harsher. Go ahead. Exactly. I mean, when we respond angrily, then we are basically following our hawa, our desire. And following the desire will lead you astray. Right? Okay, another meaning of salam is, over here, qalu salama, that they say salaman, meaning they say words that are of salam nature. Meaning they say words that are gentle, that are inoffensive, that are peaceful, alright? That avoid trouble, that allow for peace. Alright? Because some conversations are such that you can say, okay, Okay, you smile and then you put the phone down. Or you just walk away. Alright? You just show that you're not interested in carrying the conversation. You pretend that you didn't really hear anything. You can do that. But other conversations are such that you are being prompted again and again and again. Like this example that I gave you of this human rights lawyer on TV, live TV, he's asked this question, right? What is he supposed to do? Say angry words? Respond very angrily and emotionally? No. Say words that are peaceful, that will allow for peace. Alright? Is it difficult to do or easy to do? It's very, very difficult. Why? Because first you have to control yourself. You have to take a deep breath and you have to think very carefully about what you're going to say. So, qalu salama. You see over here, the nature of Ibadur Rahman is that they are not hasty. They're not impatient, neither in their walk, nor in their conversations. 
And the benefit of responding with better words, with peaceful words, it's obvious. In Surah Fusilat, Ayah 34, we learn, إِدْفَعْ بِالَّتِي هِيَ أَحْسَنْ فَإِذَا الَّذِي بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَهُ عَدَاوَةٌ كَأَنَّهُ وَلَيٌ حَمِيمٌ Respond in a way that is better, and the person who was an enemy to you will now become a close friend to you. Really, with your words, you can talk someone into becoming your best friend. The way you talk to somebody. Try this with children. If you ever see a child that's very hostile with you, just frowning at you and not even looking at you, or every time you try to go close to them, they start screaming or trying to avoid you. Start a conversation with them that's very nice. Take interest in what they're doing. And believe me, they will be like, I like you. Hmm? They will say, I like you. You're my friend. They will think like this and they will even say like this. Try this with children. And if it works with children, it should definitely work with adults. In a hadith we learn, a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said that, I have relatives with whom I try to have a close relationship. I try to be good with them. But they sever this relationship. Meaning every time I try to connect with them, they disconnect with me. I treat them well and they treat me ill. I am nice to them, but they are harsh towards me. So the Prophet ﷺ said, if it is as you say, then you in fact are throwing hot ashes. Meaning, you are winning. You are going to eventually win. And there will always remain with you on behalf of Allah an angel to support you, hmm? who would keep you dominant over them so long as you adhere to this. Meaning, as long as you hold on to salam, peaceful behavior, peaceful actions, then what will happen? Allah will support you. Allah will give you victory. And what happens when a person responds angrily, emotionally? Then who comes in? Shaytan. وَالَّذِينَ And those who يَبِيتُونَ Those who spend their night. يَبِيتُونَ From the root letters بَيَاتَ Bayt is home and ibata It is to spend your night in a certain condition. And where is it that you generally spend your night? At home. So how do the ibadul rahman spend their night? لِرَبِّهِمْ To their Lord سُجَّدًا وَقِيَامًا سُجَّدًا is a plural of sajid and qiyaman is a plural of qa'im meaning they spend their night prostrating and standing in prayer for their Lord why do they do that? why do they pray in the night? reciting Qur'an in qiyam praising, glorifying Allah asking Him, making dua in sujood why? why do they do this in the night time? Because they are thanking their Lord for having enjoyed His gifts all day long. If you think about it, all day long, we enjoy so many blessings, right? Where do we get them from? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Isn't it necessary then that we thank Him at night? In Surah Az-Zumar, Ayah 9, we learn, أَمَّنْ هُوَ قَانِتٌ آنَاءَ اللَّيْلِ سَاجِدًا وَقَائِمًا يَحْذَرُ الْآخِرَةَ وَيَرْجُ رَحْمَةَ رَبِّهِ over here, the one who prays in the night, why? Fearing the hereafter and hoping for the mercy of his Lord. So why do they spend their nights in prayer? Hoping for Allah's mercy, making dua to Him. In Surah Al-Dhariyat, Ayah 17-18, we learn, كَانُوا قَلِيلًا مِنَ اللَّيْلِ مَا يَهْجَعُونَ very little in the night was it that they used to sleep. And at the time of suhoor, they used to seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And alhamdulillah that this Ramadan was in summer. When the nights were so short that you could really not sleep much. 
And we can also finally say that at least I've spent a few nights, inshallah, in this way. كَانُوا قَلِيلًا مِنَ اللَّيْلِ مَا يَهْجَعُونَ May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all istiqamah. Now, does this mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not want us to rest in the night? And that we should spend all our night in prayer? Is that what the meaning is? Because in the Qur'an, Allah says in Surah An-Naba, Ayah 9, وَجَعَلْنَا نَوْمَكُمْ سُبَاتَ We have made your sleep as subat. Subat is that you're cut off from all work. Right? It is for the purpose of rest. So that you can be ready for the next day. So, what does it mean then? How are you meant to get rest in the night, be fresh for the next day, and also spend your night in the worship of Allah? How? We see this in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. That what is it that Allah instructed him to do? قُمِ اللَّيْلَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا Stand in prayer in the night, all night long, except for a little bit. Meaning, a portion of the night, sleep, and a portion of the night, talk to your Lord, worship your Lord. And you know the sahaba, how were they described? They were described as Fursanun bin Nahar, Ruhbanun bin Layl. Fursanun bin Nahar, Fursan, like horses or knights by day. Knights not with a K, alright? Knights with a K, K N, alright? Knights. Who are knights? Like soldiers, alright? So Fursanun bin Nahar, this is how they are by day. And they are monks by night. Meaning all night long they are as if they are monks. They are worshippers, devoted to their Lord. وَالَّذِينَ يَبِيتُونَ لِرَبِّهِمْ سُجَّدًا وَقِيَامًا وَالَّذِينَ And those who يَقُولُونَ They say, رَبَّنَا O our Lord, إِصْرِفْ Avert, turn away. عَنَّا from us عَذَابَ جَهَنَّمْ The punishment of hell. O our Lord, turn the punishment of hell away from us. Why? Because inna adabaha, indeed its punishment, kana gharama, it is ever gharam, adhering. Gharam from the root letters ghayn ramim, gharam is that which is inseparable. Inseparable. Basically gharam, alright, it means hub wal ishq. What does that mean? What does hub mean? Love. What is ishq? Crazy love. Okay? How would you describe that? Hub wal ishq. What words come to your mind? Love, like an addiction. Right? Addiction. What did you say? Passion. Okay. But you see when someone's addicted to something or someone, what are they doing? They're either thinking about it Right? Or they're with it, or with them, whatever they are in love with, constantly on their mind, constantly on their phone, right? Basically their life is filled with it. Their day, their night is filled with it. Obsession, Obsession exactly. They're obsessed with what they love. So when they're obsessed with what they love, they're constantly with it. From this, the word gharam is used for luzum. To adhere to something. So, إِنَّ عَذَابَهَا كَانَ غَرَامًا Now you understand the meaning of غَرَام? That the punishment of hellfire is forever attached. There is no escape from it. From the same root is the word غَرِيم. غَرِيم is the lender, a person who has given 
who has lent some of his money to another, and when they're not getting it back from them, what do they do? They constantly demand from them, give me my money, give me my money. They call them, they go to their door, they go to them at their work, they send them emails. You know like if people haven't paid their taxes, or they haven't paid rent or something, or they haven't paid their bills, who is it that you can ask to be after them? Huh? A collection agency. Alright? So this is gharim. This is gharim, a collection agency. Because they don't leave you at all. Now, if anyone doesn't leave you, even if it's your own child, do you get annoyed? Yes, because you need a break. Isn't it? Even from people whom you love, you need a break. You need a time when you can be on your own. Isn't it? Your me, your personal time. Imagine, hellfire, the punishment of hellfire, what is it? Gharam. It is constant. There is no break from it. Even for a second, even for a moment. If it's not one punishment, it's another. So Ibadul Rahman are those who worship Allah, who do good, fearing Allah's punishment, seeking Allah's reward. They do good, running away from hell, as if they can feel hellfire advancing towards them. And this is why they cannot rest. And they say, Oh Allah, protect us. You turn the fire of hell away from us. You want something to turn away from you when it's coming towards you. So they're actively trying to run away from hellfire, avoiding actions that will lead them to hellfire, doing things that will take them away from hellfire, but at the same time they beg Allah, Oh Allah, you protect us, you protect me. And they cannot rest, Ibadul Rahman cannot rest. Why? Because, إِنَّهَا سَاءَتْ مُسْتَقَرًّا وَمُقَامًا إِنَّهَا indeed it, meaning hellfire. It is sa'at, it is evil. مُسْتَقَرًّا as a settlement, وَمُقَامًا and as a residence. Mustaqar from the root letters qaf ra ra. Mustaqar is place of qarar. And qarar is stay. Right? Where a person stays. And generally this is understood as a place of temporary stay. Meaning a place where a person stays for some time. And muqam from the root letters qaf ya meem is place of qiyam. Place of, of standing literally and then from that place of staying from where there is no exit, from which there is no separation, meaning you cannot get away from it, you cannot go away from it, you cannot run away from it. So it refers to, muqam refers to hellfire as a permanent abode. So mustaqab, what does that show? As a temporary abode, and muqam as a permanent abode. Now we learned that some people, they will be taken out of hellfire. Eventually, who? Those who have sinned, but they did not repent from their sin. Right? They've committed a sin, and they've not repented from it. Whatever that sin may be. If Allah wants, He can punish them in hellfire. Some people will be forgiven for their sins, and others won't be. They will have to go through the punishment for cleansing, to be worthy of entering Jannah. So even if a person is dipped in hellfire for a second, Hellfire is what mustaqar for them, temporary place of stay. Even for a second, for a minute, for an hour, for 24 hours, for five days, for one month. What do they say? Ibadul Rahman say, Oh Allah, please save us. 
Because إِنَّهَا سَاءَتْ مُسْتَقَرًّا وَمُقَامًا It's not a place where you want to be even for a few minutes, even for a few seconds. And as a permanent place of stay, no way. As a muqam, it is horrible. In Surah Al-Mu'minun, Ayah 60, we learn, وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْتُونَ مَا آتَوْا وَقُلُوبُهُمْ وَجِلَهُ that those who do what they do, meaning their good deeds, while their hearts are trembling. Meaning, even though they're performing good deeds, they are afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of Allah's punishment. Afraid of hellfire. Because they realize what hellfire really is. Hellfire is really something to be afraid of. It is horrible as an abode. And even as a temporary place of stay. In Surah Al-Ma'idah, Ayah 37, we learn, يُرِيدُونَ أَن يَخْرُجُوا مِنَ النَّارِ وَمَا هُمْ بِخَارِجِينَ مِنْهَا They will try to get out of hellfire, but they won't be able to. They will not come out of hellfire. They will not exit hellfire. In Surah Al-Naba, Ayah 30, we learn, فَلَنْ نَزِيدَكُمْ إِلَّا عَذَابًا We will not increase for you except punishment. Meaning the longer a person stays in hellfire, the worse the punishment becomes. إِنَّهَا سَاءَتْ مُسْتَقَرًّا وَمُقَامًا So Ibadul Rahman, what kind of du'as do they make? What's the first du'a we learn about Ibadul Rahman? That they ask Allah to protect them from hellfire. Oh Allah, protect all of us from hellfire.